0: So there's switch tasking, which requires attention, and backtasking where something mindless or automatic occurs in the background, like listening to this podcast while I'm exercising, right? At this point, hopefully I've learned how to move my feet on the treadmill. I don't have to think about that anymore. So the question becomes, people come to me and they say, well, Dave, is it good if I do this? Or is it bad if I do that? This is not a question of morality. This is a question of math. Either you are trying to focus your attention on multiple things at the same time, which is switch-tasking and always inefficient, or something is happening in the background that doesn't require your attention, and that's back-tasking, which can be very productive.
1: That's Dave Crenshaw, author of The Myth of Multitasking, How Doing It All Gets Nothing Done. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term, and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO Sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. Fomo. Fomo. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens. This week we're gonna be talking about a topic that is, I think, a good topic for a January show multitasking and time management because i feel like a lot of us are trying to start the year being more productive which is really impossible right now given all the crazy things happening in the world but we're stuck at home working many of us and we need to find ways to get things done to make more space in our lives for other things that we want to do and of course as we try to do that it is very tempting to try to do two things at the same time and so that's why i want to hit the reset button this week I've got the guy here who literally wrote the book on how multitasking is bad and what we should be doing instead. His name is Dave Crenshaw. He wrote a book called The Myth of Multitasking, How Doing It All Gets Nothing Done. And he wrote that book way back in 2008. And in fact, he is now updating it. He's releasing the second edition right now in January, 2021. And the book updates the world of multitasking to take into account social media, work from home, all the things that we have now got 12 years later. or Actually, it's more than that, right? 13 years later. Now, the big idea here is that multitasking doesn't actually exist. The term is a lie. We can't do multiple things at once. And in fact, what we're doing when we change between multiple things, whether it's being on a call or checking your email or reading on the web or checking social media, it's called switch tasking. And every time you do that, you stop, start over, and it makes you very inefficient. There's another type of thing he talks about. And by the way, switch tasking is his FOMO. He coined the term, another term that he talks about, which is called background tasking. That's when you're doing one thing like, for example, exercising and then listening to FOMO sapiens in the background. Obviously, you're focusing on the FOMO sapiens and the, the exercise is secondary, right? Right. But that is okay. And so we're going to talk about all of those things and how you can get more things done and how you can avoid the inefficiencies that come with switch tasking. Now, my friend Dory Clark, who's a friend of the show, she was on a long time ago, says that this book is a time management classic and a must-read for professionals at every level. And Dory knows a lot, so I will take her word for it. And I did check out the book, and I found it really interesting. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And if you like the episode and you find it useful... Here's an idea for you. Think of that person or persons you know that spends all their time scrolling while you're trying to talk to them. They're not focused, they're distracted and send the episode to them and tell them to listen. Really listen, do it maybe, you know, while they're doing some passive things so that they can background task and then tell them to subscribe because that would make me very happy and we wanna get the show into as many ears as possible. Now, before we get to the episode, I do want to remind you that I just had my first ever audio course come out. It's with Himalaya Learning. It's called How to Be a Part-Time Entrepreneur, and it's available now exclusively on Himalaya Learning. It's an app, and it's an audio learning platform that provides an extensive library of courses straight to your ears from the world's greatest minds like Malcolm Gladwell and, well, yours truly. Can you believe that? I feel really good to be there with Malcolm. Now, to check out the course and others like it, go to Himalaya.com slash part-time, that's P-A-R-T-T-I-M-E, and enter the promo code PARTTIME at checkout to get your first 14 days free. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. And now, on to the interview. So I read Dave's book, and I, and I enjoyed it a lot, and it made me think, it's an interesting topic, multitasking, but it's, it's very specific. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time at the beginning of the interview asking him how exactly did he end up dedicating his career to warning people of the dangers of multitasking?
0: There are really two sides to it and the first is the personal and I was actually diagnosed as off the charts ADHD. In fact the word the psychologist used was freaking off the charts ADHD. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and so this is something that I've dealt with my whole life and uh, so as a time management guy I'm I'm a little bit different because I used to be a complete disaster in terms of my career focus, in terms of my office focus. I mean, you had to use a shovel to get from the front door to the desk. Um, and and really, it was the, the turning point for me was when I heard my wife say two words to me. And those words were, I'm pregnant. And... And when I, when I thought about the fact that this life is coming into this world, I felt some responsibility for him. I thought, I, I need to break a cycle here. My dad never broke this cycle. And so that's when I, I went out and sought the help of a psychologist. So the first was me dealing with a problem that I de- was dealing with myself. And my background, my training is in systems, is in processes. So once I understood that, I started working on creating processes that were simplified for the most inherently disorganized person in the world. who's me. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so there, there are elements of other time management training, what I do, but everything is just, it's dumbed down <laughs> so that I could do it well. And then the, the, the professional side of it was I was already working with entrepreneurs who, as you know, as a group are some of the most disorganized people in the world. So I took what was working for me and I started training them. And then that's really where the interest in multitasking came from and reducing it because of the the challenge of the inability to focus.
1: Our good friend here on FOMO Sapiens, Nir Ayal, who I'm sure you know, he says that research is me-search. I'm sure a lot of people say that, but I I first heard it from him. And I think, you know, it's, I, it's so interesting to me how you were able to identify this particular challenge and then find a solution for yourself and everybody else. And you ended up writing this book, which came out in 2008, which is a bit of a classic at this point for productivity. It's called The Myth of Multitasking. And so for folks that maybe haven't heard of the book, what is the book about? Like, what's the big idea in The Myth of Multitasking?
0: Well, first, understand it's it's sort of the mashup of the stories of many different business leaders that I worked with. So I, t- I teach it in a story format, which is a little old fashioned at this point, but I, I stuck with it for the second edition. And, and, and the crux of it is that multitasking just simply does not exist. This isn't a matter of whether we think it's good or bad, it's just the word itself is, is incredibly inaccurate because it gives the impression that we are actually doing multiple things at the same time when in fact we aren't. And in fact, the place where we borrowed the term is computers. That's really where we started first hearing the word was when Windows came out for the first time in the early 90s. And people thought, well, computers can multitask, I can multitask, but computers can't even multitask. Uh, The uh, tech definition of multitasking is the apparent ability of a computer to do multiple things at the same time. Well, as humans, we have that same limitation. We have that processor and everything has to pass back and forth. So so if I'm trying to listen to your uh, podcast, while I'm answering email, I'm really switch tasking. And that's really the first thing that I introduce is that concept of switch tasking, which is when you think you're doing multiple things at the same time, you're really just switching rapidly back and forth. And every switch has a cost associated with it.
1: But of course, not everything is created equal, right? So I, I, I know that you talk about the fact that some things you can do that are more passive, like if you're folding laundry or something. So how do you, how do you distinguish, I guess, between the switch tasking and then maybe, you know, walking and chewing gum, which you can do at the same time, not everybody, but most people can do at the same
0: time. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. I can't. Uh, so, so what I do is I introduce the, the term backtasking. So there's switch tasking, which requires attention and backtasking where something mindless or automatic occurs in the background, like listening to this podcast while I'm exercising, right? At this point, hopefully I've learned how to move my feet on the treadmill. I don't have to think about that anymore. So the question becomes, people come to me and they say, well, Dave, is it good if I do this or is it bad if I do that? This is not a question of morality. This is a question of math. Either you are trying to focus your attention on multiple things at the same time which is switch tasking and always inefficient, or something is happening in the background that doesn't require your attention, and that's backtasking, which can be very productive. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your
1: product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com FOMO. That's NetSuite.com FOMO. NetSuite.com FOMO. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me that now there's the the natural next question, which I'm sure everybody has as they listen to this is like, how do I know if something is eligible for backtasking or whether if I did, it would be switch tasking?
0: Well, one of the best indicators is simply how you feel about it. One of the hallmarks of switch tasking is that it increases your stress levels. And someone, when I I speak to an audience and I'll say, give me an example of what you think is backtasking. And someone will raise their hand every time and they'll say, listening to music while working. And I say, great, let's use this example. Raise your hand. How many of you in the audience does listening to music make you more productive? And without fail, half the audience raises their hand. I say, put your hands down. How many of you does listening to music make you less productive? And half the audience raises their hand. And and that illustrates the difference that for the people that makes them more productive, it's backtasking. They're not really hearing the music at all, but there's another group and I fall into this category because I tried to be a rock star for a couple of years. That's part of my backstory. And I can't hear music without analyzing the structure and the lyrics and all that stuff. So for me, it is definitely switch tasking. So that's part of the question you have to ask is knowing yourself, knowing the type of work that I'm doing. Am I really able to put this in the background or is it requiring my attention?
1: That's super interesting. And I'm definitely one of those people who I think music works well for me. Folding laundry is an example I gave, but what are some other good ones that, that, you know, tend to work for a lot of people?
0: I I think an obvious one, and it does work well is, is delegation, right? If I have someone else performing a task for me or, or even, Uh, Using technology, if I have my computer uh, crunching numbers on a project while I'm doing something else, that's going to be more productive. And you can find ways. Sometimes when I talk about the concept of delegation, people say, well, I'm not a business owner. I, I can't hire people. I say, well, you hire people all the time. Do you make your own hamburger every time you want one? Or do you go to Wendy's and you delegate that to someone else while you're looking at your phone? So there are lots of different ways. We can we can uh, partition off the work that we do and we can delegate parts of it to people using places like Upwork or Fiverr. So th- there are lots of different ways to involve other people in the process to be more productive regardless of what it is that you do for a career. Now, is this
1: something... Sometimes when we talk about these phenomena, uh, especially when it comes to productivity management and and dealing with multiple, you know, living in a complicated world, it, we can look back and we think, well, there, you know, a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago or, you know, whatever in the times of the cavemen and women, this wasn't a problem, right? This is something that's a modern affliction. But I'm curious, as you think about this multitasking fail that many people are engaged in. Is this something new or is this something that's always been with us?
0: Oh, I definitely think it's something very new uh, and it's not, and, and I want to make a distinction. I'm a geek. I love technology. I'm, I'm into all of it. The thing is, it's not technology that's the problem. It's our improper use of technology. It's the fact that we're using all of these tools that are evolving so rapidly but our ability to use them is evolving very, very slowly. And a great example is in the workplace. All of the the proliferation of the ways in which we can communicate with each other, text messages, IM, uh, FaceTime, WhatsApp, Slack. I mean, it just, it goes on and on and on. And for whatever reason, as, as human beings, we're choosing to add all of these to our tool belt when really we only need like two or three. And, and so part of it is us starting to make strategic choices about what is truly useful in our life and then doing our best to minimize or get rid of everything else.
1: Now, Dave, you mentioned stress as one example as you identify, yeah. and that's clearly a downside of multitasking. And I know that feeling. It's like, first of all, these days, it's how many darn platforms do you have to look at it's between the slack and the messages and the WhatsApp and the Facebook and all it's really, it's a lot. And frankly, it gives me a ton of stress and I outsource as much as I can. Uh, but it's hard to do all of it. But as I think about that, it's sort of like, okay, that's a clear downside. What are the other clear downsides, either at a personal level or an organizational level that, that multitasking causes?
0: Yeah. So there are four primary effects from from switch tasking, uh, to be clear. Uh, So the one we talked about is stress. The other is things take longer. No matter what you're doing, you are adding 50 to 100 percent in the neighborhood of that to your actual completion time when you're switching back and forth between things. Uh, Also, the increase of mistakes that you make. Uh, In fact, uh, there was a study out of Michigan State that found that uh, just under a three percent or excuse me, a three second interruption can increase the likelihood of of mistakes by double. Uh, And then the, the fourth effect is that we damage relationships. So even if you think you're listening to this, you say, Dave, you're full of it. I can be productive. I can multitask. I can switch tasks. But when you do that to a human being, you are immediately communicating to them that they're unimportant, that whatever it is you're doing on the phone is more important than them. And that is an unavoidable cost when you do it uh, in relation to your fellow human beings.
1: Yeah. And kids pick that up so quick, right? I mean, find me somebody who has a child and an iPhone that the kid doesn't say to their parent or start emulating that behavior even, but that distraction is something that's really creeped into family relationships as well and causes a lot of stress.
0: Yeah. I, you know, there's that old commercial uh, anti-drug commercial from the eighties. I learned it by watching you, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it's the same thing with technology. <laughs> They're learning it from watching us. You know, teens uh, are spending in the neighborhood of seven and a half hours per day, just on their phones. Um, that comes from a common sense, uh, census, uh, from common sense media and, and kids eight to 12 are spending almost five hours a day. That's that's craziness. But then you look at it and say, where did they learn how to do this? It's us. We're doing it. So part of what we we want to do to start to take control and stop living the myth of multitasking is having a sanctuary, a a physical sanctuary, a, a scheduled sanctuary where we say, we set these things aside. We're not going to use them. We can function for a half an hour. We can function for an hour without technology. And it takes a little getting used to, but the more you do it, the more you realize and your brain realizes, wait, I do have control here.
1: Yeah. And the same, This just really goes back into some of the work, of of course, around FOMO that I've done over the last couple of years and, and the fact that our devices are designed, it's the attention economy, so they're, they make money off of us by grabbing our attention and monopolizing it and causing us to, for example, want to check the news every five minutes, which of course is a switch and then it distracts us. And so it's kind of all compounds. And so doing those kinds of things, I want to get into solutions next in more detail, but just separating yourself from that device is a first step towards reclaiming control. Now, I I do want to get to some solutions, but before we do, I do have a question. I was telling somebody today, I was going to interview you, Hava Kahlberg, who is a listener to the show, a longtime listener. And she said, I have heard that women are better. And I know the word multitasking, We, I think we've just agreed that that doesn't even exist, but switch taskers than men. So, and then I, I got on Google, which of course is the source of all information in the globe. And I found it was a split decision. I couldn't find it one way or another. So for Hava and all of the women out there who may have heard this rumor, what is the truth on that?
0: Yeah, well, and, and I will say, too, that there's something about my message and what I do with time management that women particularly gravitate towards. So I have done a lot of consulting and, and coaching with female executives. And I could tell you about all the different studies and how some of them say there's no difference. And I've seen some that say women are better at switch tasking or incur less switching cost. I'm just gonna cut to the chase. I do believe women incur less switching cost than men do. Meaning if something interrupts them, they're more quickly able to return to what they were doing before. But there's a big but after that. And the but is that they're still incurring switching cost. So, it, it's not, and, and this applies not just if you're a man or a woman, but if you're if you're sixteen or you're sixty five, it, it has nothing to do with your age or your gender or your background. This is simply a matter of math. When you try to engage in multiple attention requiring tasks, you must pay some cost. So the goal should be not to get better at paying less cost, but to get better at not paying the cost at all. And that means, figuring out ways to improve your focus.
1: So I guess your point there, if I was to repeat, is even though you pay less of a cost, you're still paying a cost and you want to get rid of it.
0: Right. It, even if you think you're a good multitasker. And by the way, um, statistically speaking, studies have shown like out of the out of U, U of U, David Strayer, who's in my backyard, uh, that uh, if you think you're great at multitasking, statistically speaking, you're probably the worst at it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's like with everything so, in life, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some truth to that, isn't
1: there? Tudo bem, meus queridos Fomo Sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel All right. So, okay. I feel, I'm feeling stressed right now. Not cause I'm trying to switch tasks, but just cause I feel like you have opened this level of concern. Cause I, I kind of think I'm pretty good at it. So clearly <laughs> I'm one of those people. So you're coaching me. We meet or an entrepreneur cause you work a lot with entrepreneurs. What do you do to fix people, to get them off of this very pernicious habit?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I'm glad that you say that because honestly, that's not my goal. I'm not a researcher. I'm not like the the guy who wants to just share a big idea in your lap and say, figure it out. Uh, I'm, I'm a behavior sort of guy. I want to help you modify behavior. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at uh, two different types of switches that are taking place in your day, which are, there are the passive switches. And then there are the active switches, passive meaning they're being done to you and active meaning you're doing them to yourself. So first I'm gonna look at the passive ones because usually those are the easiest to control. So for instance, let's just start with technology. Think of all the times that your phone notifies you of something, anything. How many times is that happening in your day? So then you look at it and say, which of these are absolutely necessary? What, What do I need? to know in an emergency. Do I need to know that I have more lives in Candy Crush? Probably not. So let's turn that on. Do I need to be notified every single email that comes in? Probably not. I can probably schedule time on my calendar to deal with those. And then I would ask the question, how long can you go in your industry, in your position, how long can you go without looking at an email? And, And everybody's gonna have a different answer to that. Some, it can be once a day some it's going to be once an hour on the hour. But even if we get it to once per hour, uh, you know, you consider that, you know, Rescue Time did a study and found that the average number of minutes that a person takes between checking email or instant messages is six. So most people are checking it 10 times per hour. So if we can just reduce that, you're going to regain a lot of time. And, And that's also something I want to say, too, is I'm not suggesting that we can completely get rid of switches. That's not realistic. That's not attainable. What I am suggesting is that we can do a lot of things to reduce the number of switches that are taking place.
1: I just think about as you say that, uh, I've done that in my own life, right? I took off all the notifications. And then I just recently got the new operating system on my Mac and they they put them all back you guys, Apple, not cool, right? <laughs> and what is amazing is because I have deprogrammed myself from notifications and I realized what a massive, you know, I look at like the number of times i pick up my phone in a day and it just dropped incrementally. Like it was, it was really interesting. And when they came back, I found them to be so invasive and I just got rid of them immediately. So it's one of these things is, If somebody really needs to reach you, you can set up different things on your phone to make it if they call twice, they can get you. But the vast majority of notifications that you're getting in your life are just sucking your attention. They're bad for you. They give you nothing. And so I think once you start to realize that and once you start to realize, I don't have to be connected all the time to all of my apps, you feel this sense of liberty And you can then spend your time on things that are way more valuable than simply being reactive, right? Like it's like email is somebody else's checklist. I love that. I love that term. It's so true. I hate email because it's other people telling me what to do. Whereas I'd like to be spending my time creating, building, doing things that are much more important.
0: Yeah. And yet email is still necessary. So then it becomes the question of how do I deal with this necessary evil? Well, I have a set time in my day or set times in my week where I check it. Like, for instance, just in my case, and I know this won't work for everyone, but Monday morning and Friday morning are the times reserved for clearing out my email. I bring my email inbox to zero every Friday and every Monday morning. That works for me. Uh, For someone else, maybe they need to do it at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Uh, and that's part of the exploration process. My approach, uh, Patrick, isn't to force my way of doing something on someone else. Rather, it's to say, here's the principle that we want to live. Now, what's going to work for you? And let's make a plan behind it.
1: But at the same time, say you are your business partner, your employee, or your life partner, somebody in your life that you spend a lot of time with is doing that. They're just, they're lost, right? They're doing a million things. They're unfocused. They're not paying attention to you. What can we do to help other people to get better at this?
0: Well, if only there were a book that you could give them as a gift, <laughs> that would help them. Well, you know, and, and I'm joking about that a little bit, but I really did write the book with the intent to convince the unconvinced. That's, that's why it was written the way it was written. Um, but there is a resource that you can use for free as well. Um, I, I make it available for everyone. If you go to davecrenshaw.com forward slash exercise, and you don't need to sign up for anything, you don't need to give me your email, you'll see the multitasking exercise that's in the book. And that is the most powerful tool in my arsenal. In about five minutes, I can convince pretty much anyone of the, of the three costs, the first three costs. Things take longer, you make more mistakes, and you increase your stress levels. And it's simply by doing an activity of copying a phrase and copying numbers. And you do it one time with focusing and you do it one time with switch tasking. And it is, it, it convinces people more than me lathering them up with a whole bunch of studies and numbers of why your brain isn't capable of doing it because they just experience it. And usually the reaction I hear when I do this is laughter. People start, like they try to switch task and they start screwing up and they start laughing at themselves because comedy is truth and pain. <laughs> and they're experiencing that truth firsthand. So if you know somebody who's addicted to that cycle, maybe find a way to use that exercise in a, in a group meeting or you know, in, in just whatever setting you feel is most appropriate to say, hey, let's do this together because it will open up their eyes. It, it, it always does.
1: Yeah. I, I took the, I took this exercise actually, and it was, it's really clever because you do, you realize it. It's sort of like you've just lived, you have a lived experience of this phenomenon that only takes a little time to figure out. And it made me think as I, my big question for you, that for my own personal stresses and troubles that I have on this topic is zoom calls. So like, You know, you just, this is your new second edition of the book. When you wrote this book in 2008, there was no Zoom. There was, I mean, I think there was barely Skype. There was no Twitter, as far as I know. I mean, it was was early days, right? So, like, a lot of the world has changed. We are living on Zoom. We are unequipped to live on Zoom, in my opinion. I got to tell you something. If anybody who's listening has been on a Zoom call with me, I'm apologizing to you right now because I got to tell you, I just have trouble focusing. Number one, because they all go on way too long. But number two is because, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very hard to focus. So how <laughs> I'm asking you personally, but also for all the FOMO Sapiens listeners out there, what is your strategy for being able to focus on a zoom call?
0: One of the first problems with zoom calls is that we're carrying over behavior from a, an in-person meeting that does not work with zoom, which is we, we allocate too much time. Zoom calls by their nature should be shorter. Uh, just because of the the reduction of visual distractions that we have and people coming in and floating in late and doing all that kind of stuff. And and really meetings in general should be shorter, but especially on Zoom calls, be uh, be ruthless with how much time you're allocating to it. Part of the, uh, time abhors a vacuum. If you give yourself an hour meeting to accomplish something that can be done in 20 minutes, I guarantee you, you'll find a way to fill in that hour. But if you make things quick and precise, and there's an agenda, it will help people move along. Uh, You know, one tactic that I've seen uh, with somebody, a company that I got on with a Zoom call that was great. They would uh, hand it off. Like they'd say, I'm done talking, now, Patrick, it's your turn. And I think creating those kinds of ground rules within a Zoom call, like, what is efficient look like? What does focus look like? What programs do we need to have open when we're on the call? And what windows can we completely close? I, I think it, having a conversation as a team goes a long way to making those meetings a lot more productive.
1: You know, it's, it's very good advice. I'm just thinking as you're talking, I'm like, why haven't I done these things before, right? Um, so, <laughs> Well, you
0: just described my whole career, Patrick. My, my, my job is to teach common sense. Because the truth is common sense does not exist. It's, it's only the, the result of repeated life experience that that comes. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of people sitting around going, well, that's everybody knows how to do that. That's not the point. The, the point is, are you doing it? And, and what can I do to help you do what you already know to be true?
1: All right. The book is The Myth of Multitasking, Second Edition, How Doing It All Gets Nothing Done. Uh, You can also check out Dave's stuff at DaveCrenshaw.com, where you can find that really cool exercise you just mentioned. Dave Crenshaw, thanks so much for stopping by.
0: Hey, thanks, Patrick. FOMO.
1: Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com, where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify, where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com.